SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Live from Las Vegas, it's Cover It with Teddy Covers. There are only three NBA playoff series that we can expect to be competitive and have a realistic chance at seven games. We've got Denver-Portland, we've got Phoenix-LA, and we've got the Knicks and the Hawks. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. Hey guys, it's Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. And this is Cover It over the course of the next two hours. We're going to hang out and discuss sports betting in a very real way. Hour number one. I'm really excited about this guy, Brian Edwards, a guy who I've known for pretty close to 20 years. And he is a legitimate college football expert. We've got season win totals in college football that just came up, fresh numbers, virgin numbers. We've got Games of the year in college football with numbers that just went up. Again, fresh numbers, virgin numbers. And Brian and I are going to break down the early look at college football. We're going to take a deep dive into the SEC. It's going to be a fun hour in hour number one. Hour number two, Ski Profit, Hakeem Profit joining us. And I'm telling you, when it comes to NBA playoffs, they've been exciting already. And they're only just starting. You know, it's going to be a fun couple of months in the NBA. Ski and I are going to break down all the playoff games going on Saturday. We'll talk about some of the ones on Sunday as well. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs in general. But first, I do want to talk about these competitively priced series, the zigzag theories, the series. Again, it's not like the majority of these NBA playoff series are expected to be competitive. When we look at some of the lines at the open, You know, the Clips were as high as minus 550 favorites. The Nets, as high as minus 1,400. The Jazz, as high as minus 1,500 off the openers. The 76ers, minus 1,000. So, right there, four series where there's supposed to be (laughs) a right side. Although, one of them, Dallas and L.A., got real interesting real fast. Heat Bucks were another series that, again, at the Open, Milwaukee's only minus 330. Uh, Obviously, after winning the first three games, it's a very different story uh, with the Bucks right now. But supposed to be competitive. Didn't work out that way. But there were three series at the get-go that were priced with a favorite of less than $2. Knicks, Hawks, Nuggets, Blazers, and Suns. Lakers, and those are the series that, in theory, we're supposed to be expecting the zigzag. For those of you who don't know, the zigzag is one of these NBA playoff betting concepts. It's been around for a long, long time. They were talking about the zigzag theory when I first moved to Las Vegas. That was 1998. And at the time, it was a very profitable strategy. Throughout the 80s, throughout the 90s, it really worked. Like the Monday Night Football home dog that really worked in the 80s and the 90s. And then all of a sudden you look at a 30-year sample size in 2010 and go, boy, this is profitable. And you look at a 10-year sample size and go, wow, (laughs) it's not so profitable anymore. The home dogs on Monday Night Football were great. No, they're not. 
the zigzag theory in the NBA. And the theory is real simple. You just bet on the team that lost the last game. So there's no play for game one. But in competitive series, whoever wins game one, you expect them to exhale a little bit in game two. Whoever loses game one, you expect them to play like their hair's on fire in game two. Hence, the zigzag team. And then you, the zigzag theory goes. After whoever wins game two, you bet against that team and on the loser of game two in game three. And on and on down the line. So we look at these competitively priced series. Well, we have the Suns and the Lakers. Suns win game one. Lakers win game two. Zigzag works fine. But, oh, Lakers just won game three. <laughs> oh, it doesn't work. Not so fine anymore. You've only split. Denver-Portland. Same story. Blazers in game one. Nuggets in game two. Zigzag works fine. Game three, not quite the same. <laughs> Obviously, as Denver takes control of the series with a 2-1 lead. Knicks and Hawks. Atlanta steals game one. Knicks rally back in the second half. Zigzag, steal game two. So, the question is, with these competitive series, do we expect more of the same? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. In the series that were aligned competitively prior to the start of the postseason. The one thing that can change is the injury situation. And certainly we're talking about an injury like, oh, I don't know, Chris Paul being a complete non-factor for the last two games for the Suns. That's meaningful. <laughs> you know, very meaningful in that regard. But, and injuries can affect any of these teams in those spots. It's very real. You know, the team that stays healthiest in any conference, is likely to go to the finals. Uh, and the key injuries that beat down a team, like Chris Paul being hurt and being a shell of himself, um, you know, that <laughs> there's not much as a better you're going to do to make those teams better. The markets make their adjustments. When it came to Game 3 of Lakers-Suns, it wasn't a big enough adjustment. So, we'll have to see how it plays out moving forward. But, in general... A zigzag theory that worked so well for so many years hasn't worked real well this century. And the only series I'm looking to play zigzags right now are those series that were priced competitively at the open. Brian Anderson, we come back. Stay tuned. Cover it continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it. With Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid, our radio network. I'm excited about our next guest. And the reason I'm excited about him is because there's not many guys I can call in May and say, hey, I want to have a good, detailed college football discussion with you. And they get back to me and they go, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> you know, most guys are like, uh, talk to me in August, uh, talk to me in September, uh, talk to me in July. Brian Andrews like, nope, I've been working college footy, man. <laughs> so uh, let's get you in. At Vegas B. Edwards on Twitter. 
Brian Edwards, welcome to the program today. How are you? I'm doing great, Teddy Covers. Thanks for having me, brother. And, uh, yeah, I got my magazine a couple days ago. Now, I don't have my Phil Steele mag yet, but uh, I'm as, uh, you know, I'm pretty prepared. Not as prepared as I'll be after I get uh, my Phil Steele mag for a week or two, but I think we can have some good combo. Sure, I'm, I'm with you. And, of course, you know, what we've seen over the course of the last week or week and a half, we basically, I call it a virgin marketplace, you know, where books are putting up numbers and they're not necessarily tainted by the broader markets at all. This book's going to hang their numbers. Another book's going to hang their numbers. And then the markets are going to say which book is right and which teams are priced appropriately and which ones aren't. But when you talk about those lines first coming up, we have season win totals for every team in college football to talk about. That's something that hasn't always been the case. Uh, And, of course, we have what they call games of the year lines, where they put up lines for marquee matchups through September, October, November, into December. And again, these are widely available right now. They've all come up in bunches over the course of the last week or so. So I want to, we're going to get into some deep, detailed discussion about which teams we want to be betting on and which teams we want to be betting against right from the get-go. But first, I want to begin the conversation, Bri, by talking about the process. Because this is a story, you know, this is the type of show that we want to teach people to fish We don't want to give them a fish. It's not a pick show. All right. How do you tell what teams underachieved and overachieved last year? And is that your starting point for handicapping the new campaign? Is it looking at teams that like, they did not live up to their talent level. This team wildly exceeded their talent level. Is that your starting point? And how do you tell which teams were able to overachieve and which teams underachieved a year ago? Yeah, so it's a good starting point, uh, certainly. Um, I thought I looked at two things. Uh, one, turnover margin. You know, if a team was minus 13 in turnover margin and they just had a really mediocre quarterback, but, you know, they've, they've gone out in the transfer portal, they've gotten a guy who played well in 2019 but maybe lost his job last year uh, and, and now just wanted a, a change. So you're, you're, you're looking at a team – they had minus 13 in turnover margin, but you're confident they're going to have an upgrade at quarterback. I mean, that sounds like a formula for a team to improve this year. Um, also, uh, other than um, in, in addition to uh, turnover ratio, um, you also look uh, for – as I'm reading my uh, – of my thing here. One score uh, games. A, a quarterback play. Quarterback play. Like if, if they're having a, an adjustment from one quarterback uh, to the other, um, I think that can tell you uh, if you're going to have a team that's improved. Oh, but back to the over and underachieving. Uh, it's the turnover margin and um, and one possession losses. That was the other thing I was thinking of. If you got a lot of one possession losses, that's a team that can easily, if they get in better quarterback play, can easily turn that around, and uh, and maybe those one-possession losses can turn into wins. So when you talk about one-possession losses, to me that's something that stands out that has basically no correlative effect from one season to the next. A team that loses a bunch of close games one year is every bit as likely to win all those close games the next year, and that is true in college. It's true in the NFL. But when it comes to turnover margin. A lot of times, it feels to me like the markets are expecting 
And I was just talking about zigzag theory of the NBA playoffs. They're expecting turnover margin to zigzag. You know, a team that was a good team but finished minus double digits in turnovers a year ago, or a team that was mediocre at best but finished in a double-digit positive turnover margin. And yet I found this, like, the bad teams, they just lose the turnover battle every year, and the good teams just win the turnover battle every year. Um, and it's fairly consistent, <laughs> uh, especially on both ends of it. The bad teams with a negative margin year, year, year after year, and the good teams with a positive margin year after year. So are you looking for stuff that stands out that's n- not in that normal pattern when it comes to turnovers? Or is it really just a blind a team that was way negative in turnovers last year, there has to be some improvement with squads like that, and they have to be a little bit undervalued. Well, yeah, if, if the quarterback remains the same and the quarterback threw 20 interceptions last year, yeah, there's there's no reason to think he's, he's going to just suddenly have a good year. I mean, he, he pro- they probably will be minus 15 or whatever they were in, in turnover margin uh, the year before. But if you feel like you've got a different quarterback who's going to take care of the football. I mean, maybe they've changed offensive coordinators. Maybe there's an entire coaching change. And I think that's when you potentially can have, uh, you know, a team go from minus 15 turnovers to maybe plus two. And if you go from minus 15 to plus two, you're going to win more football games. Uh, So, yeah, no, I agree. You can't just look at turnover margin and say, oh, they were minus 15 last year. Well, they're definitely not going to be that bad. No, you very well could be worse if you're still dealing with the same personnel. But if you had personnel upgrades, or maybe a coaching change, philosophy change, what have you, I think that's where you maybe can find some improvement. Yeah, it's like the teams like the Kansas Jayhawks. Okay, I'm not expecting them to have a positive turnover margin this year. Or the right. Illinois fighting Illini. Uh, or, you know, any of the teams that are at the bottom, you know, your Vanderbilts of the world. Um, year in, year out, they tend to have a negative turnover differential. And the years that they don't, if you catch Illinois off a season where they were plus eight in turnovers, the next year they're likely uh, to be worse. Now, when you talk about like, what else is the, would you say is the most important for betters to pay attention to for the upcoming campaign? And, and where do you find that info? You talked about turnover margin. You talked about one-score losses. You talked about QBs that uh, are teams with quarterbacks that are capable of stepping up. But when it comes to the best info, what do you look for, and where do you find that info at this time of the year? Well, you can find all of that info in the Phil Steele magazine, but we don't have that until late late June. So, you know, right, like I said, I, I got the Athlon magazine yesterday, which is decent. It's not on the level of Phil Steele. I mean, you don't have ATS results going back five years. You don't have ATS results at all. Um, you know, there, there's some good websites out there, and, and I know Brad Powers has got a really good um, – uh, preseason uh, layout. Uh, if you just go to Brad Powers' uh, Twitter page, he, he's got some pretty good preseason stuff. You can go to the collegefootballstats.com, which is cfbstats.com, uh, not just the CFB, rather than college football. And you can look up uh, all sorts of stats uh, from the teams last year. And uh, But, you know, overall, I mean, you, obviously you'd like for them to have a lot of returning starters, uh, but you also – you know, I always have a question mark with teams that don't have returning quarterbacks. Uh, and so they're going to have a new quarterback that basically has no collegiate experience. Uh, Texas A&M, for example, um, that can be, uh, 
you know, I don't want to have a firm opinion on those teams where I haven't seen their quarterback play yet. I, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, set with this opinion of, of like Texas A&M is going to win only seven or eight games this year. If I haven't seen their quarterback play, I'm not going to make any decision until I see whether I think he's, you know, worth a flip or not. So um, those are kind of some some just quick hit thoughts of how I look at the team initially. Sure. And we have so much more coming here with Brian. This is literally tip of the iceberg. We're going to talk about the SEC. We're going to talk about the games of the year. And, yes, we're going to talk about the over-under win totals just posted from DraftKings. Stay tuned. We are loaded. Cover it. Continue. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Teddy Covers here on SiriusXM at Channel 204, the Sports Grid, a radio network. And, of course, we have extended time today with Brian Edwards at VegasBEdwards on Twitter. And, Brian, we're talking college football. We're deep diving into college football today. And before we start getting into the specifics on the SEC or on win totals or on games of the year, I do want to ask you one serious question because we cater on this show to betters of all stripes. We've got recreational players that listen. We've got serious betters that listen. I want to ask you, what do beginning betters do wrong when it comes to off-season work and off-season prep for college football? What are the biggest mistakes that you see the recreational players making early in the season? Well, they probably don't put enough time into it. They probably don't put, you know, I mean, when I get my Phil Steele magazine, I mean, every free minute, or even just the fact that I got my Athlons this week, I mean, every free minute I have, I am reading as much as possible about every team. And, and I think probably beginning betters don't realize how how hard, you know, it is. This is the toughest game going. I mean, you have got to invest a lot of time and, uh you know, when we get to early August, I mean, you should have everybody's schedule pretty much memorized. You should have all their key personnel memorized. I mean, if you're going to, you know, be a hardcore better that's risking a lot of your hard-earned money uh, on these games. So I would say that's just the work ethic uh, I would think beginning betters struggle with because you're not just going to be picking winners uh, left to right if you haven't put in the time, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, in terms of work ethic, I'm with you 100%, man. <laughs> it's like, it's funny. The harder you work, the easier it gets. <laughs> uh, and, you know, when you're digging, when you're looking through those local papers and finding that info and finding, oh, by this one quote from a coordinator and he, like, stands out, you're like, I bet you everyone else didn't see that. And you highlight it and you remember it. That's stuff you can use all year long, but it's definitely stuff you can use early in the season betting college football where so many betters seem to have struggles uh, betting college football. And I think it's that they bet the uniforms as opposed to the teams. You know, and no idea whether this team's up or down in any given year, but there's certainly 
a fair few college football betters out there that are like, this team's better than that team, whether they are or not. The reputation says they're better than that team, but the reality often speaks differently. So you are what I would call an SEC expert. Would you agree? Am I am I overstating you? I'm the SEC. You live in SEC country, uh, and it's a conference that you've done fairly well with over the year. True? Yeah, I hope so. I, I think that, yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you can call me that. Okay. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about the SEC, which is, you know, when you talk about college football, the SEC is the, the, the marquee conference uh, for college foots. Obviously, uh, we have an SEC team playing in the national championship game just about every year, even if it's not always Alabama. Um, and right now, when we think about the SEC in terms of the pantheon of programs nationally, I got to call three SEC teams in the top five nationally right now in terms of programs when we're talking about Georgia, Alabama, LSU. I put them right there with Ohio State and Oklahoma. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're and Clemson. I guess maybe there's six you're going to put in those uh, in, in that top-notch category. But even after Georgia and Alabama and LSU, it's not like Auburn and Florida's programs are far behind. Uh, A&M certainly pointed in the right direction. I mean, it's a team that has, it's a conference with an extraordinary amount of top-notch talent as evidenced by how many SEC players get taken in the first round of the NFL draft each year. So let's talk about the SEC. I want one betting sleeper from this conference, a team we can make money with in week one and a team we may well be able to make money with all year long. All right, I'm going to go with Mississippi State. Um, now, unfortunately, we don't have many of their games of the year lined, so there's not a, a whole lot of spreads uh, to look for uh, that we can, I can point to specific games. But this is a team that was a lot – first off, Mike Leach was coming in, uh, and when Mike Leach, the way he runs his pass-happy uh, offense, you know, you got to get the personnel that fits that. And he didn't really have that last year. You know, they tried K.J. Costello, a quarterback, the grad transfer uh, from Stanford, who had been an all-Pac-12 player uh, two years before that. And he had a great game against LSU. Uh, and then he had some poor games. And then he got a pretty bad concussion against Alabama. And then they were just going with the freshman, Will Rogers, a true freshman, uh, the rest of the way. Now, he had some good games uh, in November. I would say he's the leader to, uh, to win the QB job. But they did get... Uh, Jack Abraham, who started a couple of years at Southern Miss uh, in the transfer market, so he might get pushed. They also got a kid out of Texas uh, as a freshman, as a four-star. So uh, Will Rogers might get pushed for that job, but I, I would say it's his to lose. Um, but Mississippi State, they've added uh, a lot of transfers, uh, including Jameer Calvin that he had as a wide receiver uh, at Washington State. But, you know, they were surprisingly good on the defensive side of the ball last year, and they returned eight guys uh, on defense and eight guys on offense as well. But that defense uh, was fourth in the SEC in run defense, fifth in total defense, and sixth uh, in scoring defense. And you look at the non-conference, I see Mississippi State getting some, uh, getting some pretty easy wins in non-conference. And... Um, you know, they get Ole Miss at home. They get Kentucky at home. At Vanderbilt is a game they should win. I think uh, Mike Leach 
Uh, he developed some freshmen last year, a lot of bad apples. He weeded out, out there. And uh, I think Mississippi State is going to be a surprising team and, and vastly improved. Yeah, and then the goal uh, for us is I don't care how many games they win, I care how many point spreads they cover. <laughs> and Mississippi State, uh, Brian says, the team we want to be paying attention to in that regard. Here's my question. All right. Mike Leach is the ultimate system guy. Okay. You know, this is the way he runs his system. This is the way he runs his offense. And at his two previous stints, he's been able to take undersized receivers with speed who haven't been recruited by the top schools but still have a whole lot of talent and turn them into real weapons uh, at the collegiate level. But in the SEC, Every defense has speed. <laughs> Every one of them. Yep. Does this system going to work in this conference, or is Leach really fighting an uphill battle uh, now that he's moved to uh, the SEC in comparison to what he saw in the Big 12 and the Pac-12? I, I think it can work. Now, is it going to work uh, at Death Valley on Saturday nights? Is it well, it did work in Death Valley uh, last year, but that was an afternoon game. Is it going to work at Alabama? You know, probably not going to work very well, but is it going to work against uh, Vanderbilt? Is it going to work against Ole Miss? Is it going to work against Missouri and Kentucky and Tennessee? Yes, I think is the answer. Now, I don't think he'll ever, you know, get Mississippi State up into the upper tier, but I think he can be a guy that can win seven, eight, and the occasional nine-win season uh, in Starkville. I think, you know, it, it takes a while to get his type of players in. Uh, but I, I think come year three that they'll be ready to, you know, be an, an eight-win team uh, on on the regular, if you will. I, I think it will work. I've got a lot of confidence in Leach. It didn't look good at times last year. But, um, you know, again, he, he was, you know, like 18 to 19 people left the team before, uh, you know, before October like it was, it was crazy how guys were just dropping like flies off that roster. Yeah, we're talking, of course, with uh, Brian Edwards at Vegas B Edwards uh, on Twitter. He's an excellent follow uh, for college football. We talked about a point spread sleeper in the SEC. What about a team that you think is overrated coming into the season? Give me a team that I can fade, not necessarily straight up. But against the spread, who's overvalued right now? Well, Bryce Young looked pretty good to me uh, in the spring game. But, you know, Alabama – and look, I'm not saying Alabama's overrated in terms of, you know, uh, potentially winning another national championship. I, I'm not saying that they won't be there. But uh, I, I think their lines, certainly in the games of the year, um, are – you know, remember, they didn't have that great a defense last year. They had one of their best offenses ever, and they've lost a lot of pieces from that offense. They have three starters back on offense. That's it. Now, look, I think Bryce Young is going to be very good. Um, they do have eight starters back on defense. But let's remember, that was the worst defense of, of Alabama's uh, tenure under Nick Saban, or at least since year one. Uh, that was their worst defense since year one of his tenure. So, um, they got to improve on defense because I don't think they're going to be quite as dynamic offensively. Now, look, everybody says uh, they replaced five stars with five stars. Sure, that, that is the case. They recruit uh, very well. But I, I, I think they are a little overvalued uh, at the book. Now, uh, that's 
for their spreads on the game. Uh, now, I've been betting Alabama in the first half for many years now. Uh, I think they finished, what, 11-2 and two in the first half last yep. year. So many of their spreads are between 28 and 38. And, you know, you're when, it, when it's 35-3 to three, or more like, you know, 52 to 14 uh, or whatever, you know, you're not going to have your starters in when it's – Sure, the, 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 the intensity isn't there after halftime. Uh, the same way for the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're going to talk more at SEC football. We got a sleeper. We got a fade team. We got more to discuss. Plus, over under win totals from DraftKings. Stay tuned. Covering continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. To cover it here on Sirius XM Channel 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network. I'm Teddy Covers, and we have extended time today with Brian Edwards at Vegas B. Edwards on Twitter. We're talking college football, and we've been talking SEC. And, Brian, I guess there's one game in week one that stands out to you as a wager you might want to make right now. Thought of the SEC. What do you think about LSU? in their season opener. Yeah, they're minus three and a half at UCLA. Now, they do have to go out west, but I think that would be more of a factor if it, you know, were in the middle of the October week-to-week grind. The fact that this is a season opener, I don't think it's that big big a deal to go out west. Um, UCLA seems to be getting respect from the odds makers because they've got so much production coming back. They do have 19 starters, you know, a veteran quarterback they've had for years. But, um, look, the UCLA was getting blown out uh, every game, year one of, of Chip Kelly. Year two, they were getting blown out uh, a lot, not as much. And late in the year, they, they played a little better. Last year, they go three and four. They did lose four one-possession games, including an overtime game. And uh, they got a nice win at Arizona State. So that does show some improvement. But I don't think UCLA is ready to compete with LSU, um, even though they are at home. I mean, LSU had a down year last year. They had lost 14 players to the draft. Then Jamar Chase, the best of the country, opts out. And then they had several uh, starting defensive players opt out. And, you know, they lost Joe Brady. Uh, they lost Dave Aranda, uh, the D coordinator who, who went to Baylor. I mean, it was just a perfect storm for them to, you know, ha- have a, a downward fall last year. But, I mean, they've recruited great. They've got seven starters back on offense, nine on defense. I think this is a game that will be won in the trenches, and LSU will have a healthy advantage on both sides of the ball in matchups of O-line on D-line. And I think LSU wins this game by double digits. I think this is a gift uh, to be getting this at, at any number less than seven. Sure. I mean, LSU 5-5 five and five last year, UCLA – Three and four. Uh, But the Bruins, you talked about all the returning starters for UCLA. We're going to see that all over the place this year in college football with the extra year of eligibility granted. How are you approaching that where so many teams are going to have 
17, 18, 19 returning starters uh, from a year ago in comparison to a normal year where the average is, what, about 11 or 12. Well, yeah, mostly teams replace about half uh, their starters from one year to the next on average. Um, how are you approaching this year with all those extra returning starters? Well, were, were those starters any good last year? <laughs> I think that's the, the, the main thing because if they were really, really good, they probably already have gone to the NFL, at least we're talking from the, the, the high power five and the SEC schools. Um, so, you know, having, you know, if Vanderbilt's got a lot of starters coming back, maybe that's not a good thing. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you got to take it case by case basis. Sure. And in terms of the concept of a Chip Kelly offense versus a speedy SEC defense, much like we talked about Mike Leach earlier, I don't trust the spread offenses against the defenses with speed. Yeah, from a fundamental standpoint, that LSU minus three and a half at UCLA week one sure makes a whole lot of sense to me. Is there anything else that stood out to you from that uh, week one card? Obviously, we've got lines up and available at a handful of books. Um, and it's not something I asked you about uh, off air. Uh, so you know, feel free to say no. That was the one that jumped to me, and that's the only one that you really looked at. Uh, but was there anything else stand out to you for a week one in college football? I certainly wish I had been at the South Point last Friday when they opened Alabama uh, less than 14 against Miami. I think they opened it at 12, but I think yeah. it's all the way up to 16 and a half or 17. I would have loved to have gotten Alabama at minus 14 or fewer, but uh, I think we missed the boat on that. Um, what else is standing out? You know, Ole Miss, if you can get it at seven, I, I think some books have moved it to seven and a half. They play uh, in Atlanta on Monday night against Louisville, which had a good year one under Satterfield, but had a, a bad year two, and they lost Javian Hawkins, their speedster running back, who I was thrilled for my Falcons to get as an undrafted free agent. If you can get Ole Miss at minus seven, I like that. Uh, I think a lot of books have it seven and a half, maybe by that half point to seven. Um, I, I, I could get on board for Ole Miss uh, in that one. So let's talk about these over-under win totals uh, from DraftKings. And I, I feel like uh, uh, we've gotten too long without even bringing them up. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to run the numbers, all right? I'm going to run the numbers. If you've got an opinion, you tell me. But let's do some ACC first. Clemson lined at 11 and a half wins. Notre Dame at nine. NC State at six. Boston College at seven. Wake Forest, six, over under six and a half wins. Same with Louisville. Florida State, how far the Seminoles have fallen, over under five and a half wins. Syracuse lined at three. Miami, over under nine and a half wins. The North Carolina Tar Heels, over under ten wins. Pitt and Virginia Tech both lined at seven. Virginia lined at six. They're not expected to be quite as good as they've been the last couple of years. Georgia Tech at four and a half, and the Duke Blue Devils lined at four wins. Only Syracuse expected to be worse in the ACC than Duke this year. So out of all of those, give me one that stands out to you. I like Boston College over seven. I love Phil Dracovic, the quarterback, transferred from Notre Dame. He was terrific last year. They've got one of the best receivers in the country in Zay Flowers. Uh, they've got their entire O-line back, and it's one of the top 10 or 15 in the country, uh, anchored by center Alec Lindstrom, who's a preseason first-team All-American uh, in, in some magazines and in some uh, publications. Uh, it, but more importantly, it's the schedule. 
you look, you got Colgate at home at UMass at Temple. They should start three and zero there. Uh, I think Missouri at home will be a tight line, but that's certainly a game BC can win. And they get NC State, Virginia Tech, FSU, and Wake Forest at home. And they should be favored in road games at Louisville, at Syracuse, at Georgia Tech. Um, the only game that looks unwinnable is at Clemson, but they led at Clemson most of that game last year and, yep. and lost 34 to 28. So I think I love Halfley, uh, the coach, nine starters back on offense and defense. So BC over seven is the one I really like in the ACC. That makes a ton of sense to me. And honestly, of all your opinions today, like that's the one that I'm like, I got to go out and bet that now. Uh, <laughs> Uh, because when you look at the way the schedule lays out for the Eagles and the trajectory of that program, my only concern, my biggest concern about BC, and I want to ask you uh, this question, defensive team speed. Are they going to be able to get stops? Can they get anyone to go sideline to sideline? Uh, they have a secondary that can cover uh, the Louisville receivers, the Georgia Tech speed. Um, any take on, on the uh, Eagles' defense? The defense does concern me. I have I have no concern about the offense. I mean that that's nine guys. But I mean they really only lost Hunter Long, uh, the really good tight end. Uh, that's really all they've lost in that offense that was humming most of last year. But I remember the Notre Dame game in particular is where you noticed their lack of speed uh, on defense. But look, that's where Halfley, that's his side of the ball. And remember with the pandemic and no spring football, he didn't really have a lot of time to, you know, install every, everything he wanted. And um, so I think with a spring practice and that being his, uh, now, I don't, you know, I don't know if the speed's going to help, but in terms of scheme-wise, I think they should be better, and uh, I think they'll be a little better. But they are going to give up some points, yeah, and, but it's the schedule that really is the biggest factor in, in me wanting to go over seven. That and the quarterback and Zay Flowers. So I'm going to run uh, Big 12 real quick right here. Oklahoma, 11 wins. Iowa State, 9.5. Okie State, 8. Uh, sorry, Oki, Oklahoma State, 7. Texas, 8. TCU, 7. West Virginia lined it over under six and a half wins. Kansas State lined it over under five and a half wins. Texas Tech lined it over under four and a half wins. Baylor only at five and a half wins this year. And of course, the Kansas Jayhawks lined as a one-win team. Anything stand out to you from the Big 12? I'll go over on West Virginia uh, at six and a half. Uh, I like Jared Dogey, 14-4 TDINT ratio last year. They've got Letty Brown, uh, their best running back, uh, coming back. And, um, you know, the schedule, they've got, a, they've got LIU in non-conference. Uh, obviously, they're going to win against Kansas. Um, Texas Tech at home is a win. Virginia Tech at home might be a win. At Maryland could be a win. Um, I just like uh, Neil Brown. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, West Virginia wins at least seven. And I, I w I'll say I think they probably get eight. Yeah, it's another team with a coach who we like that has come up through the ranks and done very, very well. Uh, Brian, I want to make sure, and we still got a couple minutes left, but I want to make sure you get a chance to promote. Uh, take 30 seconds, let people know where they can find your information right now and obviously as we approach uh, college football season later in the summer. 
Yeah, my uh, Twitter handle is uh, at Vegas B Edwards. You can find uh, all my uh, picks, so whether it's you know still NBA and come football season at VegasInsider.com. And I also do a lot of writing for MajorWager.com. And during football season, I'll be writing again uh, an SEC piece each week uh, for VegasInsider.com. But right now, NBA stuff this summer, you can check me out at MajorWager.com. Great stuff, Brian, I'm sure. Uh at least some of our listening audience will check you out there. All right, bang, let's run through two more major conferences, and we got two minutes to do it, so we got to go quick. Ohio State lined at 11 wins in the Big Ten. Indiana, they're contenders now. They're lined at eight. Maryland, five point five and a half wins. Penn State, over under nine. Michigan, over under eight. No line on Rutgers in New Jersey. And the Michigan State Spartans lined at four wins. My initial take uh, is definitely look at Michigan State over that total. I think they'll be a lot better than they were a season ago. When, again, when you have a new coach in a pandemic year where you don't have the normal offseason prep, you expect those teams to struggle, and you expect them to be better in that new coach's second season with a more normal offseason. That's the case for Michigan State here. Iowa lined at 8.5. Northwestern, 6.5. Wisconsin, over under 9.5 wins. They're the favorite in the Big Ten West. Minnesota, 7. Nebraska, 6. Purdue, 5. Illinois line is a three-win team. Anything with the Big Ten stand out to you, Brian? Yeah, I'll go Indiana over 8. 8 starters back on offense, 9 on defense, and they retain uh, Tom Allen, which was key. They've got Penix back at, at quarterback, and Ty Freifrogel uh, is one of the best receivers in the country. They also have Hendershot back at receiver. I like the Hoosiers to go over 8. Yeah, and if you were betting Indiana last year, certainly for a good portion of that campaign, you did fairly well. Uh, I'm just going to run through the Pac-12 numbers so we can get through all the major conference numbers here. we got Oregon at 9, Washington at 9, Stanford over under 3.5 for the Stanford Cardinal at the Open. Cal, 5.5, Oregon State, 4.5, Washington State lined as a 6-win team. In the Pac-12 South, USC lined at 9, Colorado lined at 4.5, Utah. Over under eight and a half wins. Arizona State expected to be good. They're lined as a nine-win team. UCLA at seven. And the Arizona Wildcats at two and a half. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for May thoughts for September college football. Really appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you, brother. I like over on Oregon State uh, three and a half. I appreciate you having me, my man. No, No problem. Unfortunately, though, Four and a half wins for the Oregon State Beavers this year. They're going to have to cash, uh, win five games for you to cash that bet. More covering coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. We're here in the home stretch of our number one. Here on Cover It with Teddy Cover, Sirius XM. Channel 204, the Sports Grid, a radio network. I love talking college football in May with people that have done a little bit of homework. <laughs> it sucks talking college football in May if people haven't done any homework. But as long as you're talking with guys that have done a little bit of homework, it's a good discussion. And I want to highlight one of the teams 
that Brian Edwards was, was talking about uh, earlier in the show. That, of course, the Boston College Eagles, BC, this year. And I'm with Brian. I look at this offense for Boston College, and you say, phew, we like the quarterback. Boy, they got more skills and talent than we're used to seeing. They have more speed on the outside than we're used to seeing. The offensive line is loaded. I think BC is going to be able to score points. But then you look at the defensive side of the ball. And Brian was like, well, they'll be okay. I'm a little bit concerned. I remember the Notre Dame, he talked about that Notre Dame game from last year where BC was just hopelessly outclassed on the defensive side of the football. And we look at some of the opponents that they've got in a very, I would say loaded ACC, but it's an ACC that's not short on speed, on skill position speed uh, this year. You know, obviously Clemson and Notre Dame at the top. Miami's a fast team. North Carolina's a fast team. Virginia Tech's a fast team. There's speed on Georgia Tech. There's speed on Louisville. There's speed on Florida State. These are going to be problematic matchups for the Boston College Eagles. So we have an offense that we like and a defense that we don't. You know what we're going to look to do to bet BC this year? We're going to look for BC up and over the total. Not their season win total. I would not. I wouldn't talk you out of it. No, BC uh, over seven wins. But on a week-in, week-out basis, this is a team that we haven't seen their totals in the 70s on a regular basis. And that's where they should be this year. BC up and over the total. Week one, week two, week five, week 12. We'll see how the markets react. I don't want to say week 12 or week five. But this is a team right from the get-go. From week one, I want to be betting Boston College overs. We'll see what it looks a few weeks in. But I expect to cash more than one winning bet playing BC games as being high-scoring affairs.